children's programming. Pink. How you doing, man? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Hanging in there day by day. Yeah. Welcome yeah. aboard. Uh, I guess we'll just start. Uh, welcome, everybody. This is episode 19 of uh, Children's Programming, the only podcast around. Brought to you by Dr. Pepper. Brought to you by Dr. Pepper. drink of college football. Of course. And, of course, we have our usual uh, hosts. Uh, this is, of course, me, Matt Dixon. And, of course, we have our illustrious, equally illustrious co-host, uh, Nicholas J. Parodies. You flatter me, sir. Of course I do. And today we're joined by a special guest, um, a friend of mine, Mr. Steve Finkel, a uh, student athlete from the St. Thomas Aquinas University, I believe. Yes. yes. Yeah. Where is that located again? I wasn't actually sure myself. Uh, right in Nyack, New York. Right in Nyack? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Awesome. Yeah. How you been, Steve? How's things? I haven't talked to you in like a hot minute, so. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, it's been since Oc. Yeah. In our little class with Cardacera. Cardacera. <laughs> You know, he loves that when people mispronounce his name. <laughs> he can't get oh, away yeah. with that pretty easily. No. No, not at all. No. Um, were you actually in the media program? I don't remember specifically. It, it, <laughs> I was playing. Uh, what happened was I was going to school in uh, Scranton at Marywood University mm -hmm. while playing junior hockey in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania for the uh, Scranton Penguins. And then I got traded to Jersey. So I had to kind of like move colleges in the same time as the middle of the hockey year and so i kind of dropped all my classes there and went to Oc. i don't know i don't know what they claim me as new media english i don't know yeah you always <laughs> just kind of like we're just roaming around and i never really understood what what does fink do for a living <laughs> Nothing. yeah um so I, I never exactly knew like are you involved directly in the nhl at all or yeah, yeah. So um, basically, ever since I was a senior in high school, I've uh, interned with EJ Raddick, who hosts NHL Tonight, um, along with Steve Mears, who used to be his co-host, who is now the play-by-play -play announcer for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I did a lot with them on top of uh, I interned for the Florida Panthers for a year, two years. I still intern with them when they come up to the Northeast. And then... Uh, with the New York Rangers, I do some stuff with them, uh, help film commercials. I skate. You know, you always see um, the feet in the commercials, so I'll stop and spray the ice, and then they put Ryan McDonough or whoever current Ranger is. I used to film a lot with uh, McDonough when he was with the Rangers. So you've developed a lot of good relationships with your uh, your time in the NHL, you believe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every time I go to a Panther game, I always run into – whether it's, um, you know, media people to owners or players. I mean, it's cool to have those relationships, for sure. What's that like to go into an NHL building and know that, like, you're stepping into a place where, like, millions and millions of people are watching it on every given night? Well, my, my, my first experience was down in Florida with the Florida Panthers because they played a preseason game against the New Jersey Devils in 2015 at West Point Military Academy. So mm. I was able to obtain a press pass because I helped coach up at West Point with their youth program. So I got to know the – I was invited by the Devils in West Point, but the Devils PR staff weren't really um, the friendliest, but that's all changed since then. And so I went over to the Florida Panthers side, and they took me in right away, and – when I first went to their barn, which is in Sunrise, Florida, um, my dad and I went down. They gave my dad a ticket to every game. We were there for a week and a half. And to see, you know, I I'm walking in with the players, you know, because I'm part of the Panthers organization and PR staff. And, I mean, I'm, I'm walking in with guys like Huberdeau, Trocek, on top of Yager was playing with them at the time. So to see him in person warming up and i mean at the time too the first game they were playing against were the chicago blackhawks so i got to see patrick kane walk in and it was it was very surreal because i'm an 18 year old kid at this point and these are guys who i watch on tv every day 
and this was like 2015, right? So this was um this was the Blackhawks championship season. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was that to like watch them win the title and be like, wow, I I bet those guys. Well, it, it was funny because they started out with an interim head coach that year. They, mm-hmm. they, they, uh, I think for, and so, so did the uh, Panthers. The Panthers also had a, and I remember, I'll never forget it because I thought it was the weirdest conversation we had. I forget the, in, the interim coach's name, but um, for the Panthers, after the game, they were asking him if they ever went to Switzerland. And we were talking about Chinese food to chocolate. And it, it was, <laughs> That that's the only reason why I remember that both teams had interim coaches because they were talking about the weirdest stuff before and after. It was weird. What's it like when that barrier is broken down? Where you you know you're a big NHL fan your whole life, and then all of a sudden you're you know sharing the same the same breath with you know Patrick Kane or whoever. Like, what's that like on a on, for a fan level as far as? I I mean to me I never I never really have been starstruck. I mean I, I've met. Anyone from Liam Neeson to uh, Post Malone, all the way down to Henrik Lundqvist. So, for, so for me, I've been fortunate enough to kind of hurdle that. Um, I guess you would say that fan side of it. So, I mean, I was on the NHL Network when I was 18. So, my, the first ever interview I did was um, with a guy from the St. Louis Blues. I'm blanking on his name. He was a captain out there. Um, he'll come to me, but. Um, that moment was surreal because I'm on national TV and the, and I'm interviewing one of the guys who I've watched day in, day out. So I think that moment was very surreal, but it becomes an everyday routine. You know, they're, they're human beings too. I mean, I remember going out with some of the guys from the Panthers too. I mean, they're, they're normal, regular guys, but when, when you're a fan, yeah, a hundred percent. Like I was shaking the first time I met Chris Drury who's the assistant or he's now the general manager of the Hartford Wolfpack in Connecticut for the Rangers AHL team. I mean, I, my mom, I watched him retire. My mom watched him play her whole life. So when I met him, that was probably the first time while working a game, I was actually, I was like shaking. So yeah, you still have those moments, but yeah, it's very surreal. Can you tell us the post below story? Because Dixon said it's a really good one. <laughs> so post Malone, I, I think he flew out of Teterboro. Um, he he did a show or something in Manhattan, and one of his engines failed, and they were getting smoke in the cabin. And I live in Warwick, New York, which is about a forty-five minute ride to Stewart Airport, and that's where he was going to land. So. I go in shorts and t-shirt, drive my Honda Pilot down there. I park. Now, I'm on the tarmac with ABC7, you know, all all these news crews. And I'm like, huh, they let me. And I think I was, I think this when I was at Oc with you, Matt, I I think. This was last year, I believe, if I remember correctly. Um, maybe, maybe a year, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember cool. it being kind of recent, so I, I don't think we had, I'd seen you by that point. Cause I remember I saw you posted it on Facebook and I thought it was real cool. So yeah. So I thought that was uh, real bizarre. They land the plane and at first he was going to make statement to the media. So there was only like 10 of us on the tarmac allowed. So us, and then I said, you know what? He's long gone because there's nobody around the plane. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not hanging out here. So I get on my on my phone and I FaceTime my boy from Scotland who I played junior hockey with in uh, Texas. with, And so as I'm FaceTiming him, I missed the wrong turn out of Stewart airport because it's kind of like a giant circle, you know, and out I end up driving instead of making that right to go out. I keep going around and I make a right and I end up by the private hangars and there's post Malone and his boys drinking <laughs> beers and just smoking weed like right outside and no one's going up to them. So next thing you know, I just parked the car and I walk up to him. I'm like, Hey man, you good? You know, he hands me a beer. They had pizzas coming. I had pizza with them. Like it was, it was sick. It was sick. And then TM, TMZ ended up showing up and I got interviewed by them. It was a whole thing. It was pretty cool. That's really awesome. <laughs> That's like an amazing life story to tell in the future. That's just like 
so cool yeah. that he would just be like, yeah, here's a beer, man, and you're all ready to go. <laughs> and then one of my friends from school, her dad's best friends with his agent. So I printed out the picture, and I have it signed by him now. That's amazing. Oh, that's sick. That's awesome. Yeah. So that that's what made it like kind of awesome, too. Now that you have an inroad with, with him and you have an inroad with the NHL, is there any word on um, setting up something for him to perform once we can go back to – once we can go back to stuff like that. Uh, there, there's been talks already about, because you know how big Snoop Dogg's into the NHL now with everything? Oh, yeah, there's yeah. Been, there's been talks about Snoop Dogg and Post Malone doing the next NHL 21. Like, because Snoop Dogg's announcing on NHL 20, like the video game for EA Sports. So hmm. I, I think they want to collaborate. And also they want to do something at the Stanley Cup Finals, him and Snoop. Will that be happening this year? No, probably not. No. Okay. So they're not, they're not going to let Post Malone and Snoop Dogg inside the bubble. No. no gotcha. No, no. No, I'm surprised they even let some some of the announcers go, to be honest with you. Hmm. Yeah, because you could probably do a lot of that stuff, like, over Zoom somewhat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it it's tough because if, if you're going to draw a crowd, yeah, that's one thing, but if you're not going to draw a crowd with these two guys performing, why even have them go, you know? Mm -hmm. While we're talking about the bubble, um, I've heard some rumblings about in like NBA Twitter that like next season could be shortened so that they can play it in a bubble. Next season could be canceled altogether. Uh, what are you hearing, if anything, about what the NHL is going to do? Are we looking at a shortened season next year? Are we looking at like a full season in a bubble? So right right now they're they said all they're gonna do is um kind of give the players uh even though they were off for three or four months technically mm -hmm. um they're they're gonna give them maybe one or two months off and then start training camp and go right into and have a regular season. Now I don't know if it's gonna be, you know, the locations that there are in now, like Toronto and out west and south or wherever. But um as of right now, they're planning on just playing without fans um, for the first half of the season. So they're going to take, like, the MLB approach? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think hockey is one of the better sports with uh, – because what the NHL did was they contacted every player's wife and got pictures of them and their kids and put them all over their rooms for them. Which I thought was really cool. That's a nice That's touch. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the NHL's done it the best way. Um, especially with the playoff format and with the amount of games you get. Um I I think it's the best out of all major sports because you look at baseball, I mean there should be rarely, if any, contact in baseball and I mean, the Marlins, they went out in Philly and party. So, I mean, now you have, I think I think today they said 16 positive and three team staff positive right now. Yeah, it's getting like, it's getting up, up to almost 20 now. Yeah, it's pretty close. So, yeah, I, I think, I think the NHL's kind of done it right the first time with the bubble. Same with the NBA. But the thing is, if one player gets it in the bubble, you're, every team's going to get it, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's just the nature of it. Um, but it, I mean, it probably helps too, that they, the bubbles, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all the bubbles for the NHL are in Canada, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that probably helps a lot too. Like we had, um, we had a woman from Canada on the show a couple weeks ago and she was telling us how, like it's, it's night and day compared to how our two countries are, are handling this. So oh, that probably helps it a lot. It, I, I have uh, I have some friends out in Quebec and Montreal, and they're saying that it's just it's so it's it's more it's more of a threat in the United States than it is in Canada mm -hmm. because they've taken all like no bars are even open in Canada yet. Um, mm -hmm. But what else I thought was nice was all the NHL all twenty six teams in the NHL they each have a piece of glass in their locker room. Like a uh, from their home rink that was signed by fans, which not a lot of people know about. 
like um, the Tampa Bay Lightning when they play, you'll see, they they asked if they could have that piece of glass while they play on on the boards itself. So I thought that was something really cool that the NHL did, like incorporating the fans. And so what what the Tampa Tampa Bay got four or five pieces because their organization also did it. So what they did, um, they sent everyone who signed a piece of glass, uh, signed gloves, signed sticks, something signed to recognize that, you know, they, they did the right thing. It's a real shame that like all these other leagues are like getting all this attention for all their, the bad press that they're getting for the whole coronavirus thing. But I haven't heard anything about the NHL doing all these things and they seem like really nice little touches that'll help move the season along for the players a little better. Mm -hmm. Well, well, like I, I was talking with um, Michael Gradner, who's with the Arizona Coyotes, and he has two young kids. I mean, I think one's five, the other one's seven. And he's like, it's just tough to be away from your family. I mean, he goes, but you sign a contract and that that's life. He goes, listen, if I win the cup in the weirdest year, then I win the cup. If I don't, you know, I'm, I'm still going to see my kids, you know, but um some of the guys thought about opting out and then the players union actually kind of had a they they went head to head with a few of the bigger name players and said listen if you don't want to play opt out of your contract and of course they want the money so they're they're not going to opt out so there was nobody that opted out at all from hockey nope not um there there was one player but obviously like um family matters like victor had been of the um, of the Tampa Lightning, I think his he had a passing in the family, so mm -hmm. he he got sent back to Tampa, and then he's got he's leaving tomorrow back up there, and he's got a quarantine for five days. But I mean, they're gonna make exceptions. So, yeah, like certain extenuating circumstances. Yeah, obviously, if a family member dies, they're not just gonna be, hey, you gotta go. Like mm -hmm. that's not. I think hockey's one of the most understanding sports when it comes to that stuff. But it's not quite the same way it is in like baseball or like what we're seeing in the NFL right now where they're kind of giving people the option about whether to play or not. Yeah, I mean I I refuse to watch football right <laughs> now. I, I refuse to watch baseball. It's just you know what, it's it's either you play or you don't. Uh politics or not, I think you play the game the right way and I mean, especially, I saw a picture of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Phil and the uh, the Flyers. They all stood in between each other for the national anthem on the blue lines. To to sh I I don't know if it was like an the NHL making a statement, you know, with the whole standing thing, but I don't think there's been one NHL player ever since the whole kneeling with uh, Kaepernick. There's not been one NHL player that's known for the national. Hmm. Now, and are you are you one of those people? I'm not uh, calling you out on anything, but is is do you have an opinion on the matter as far as like if kneeling is is correct or that sort of a thing? I know it's kind of a controversial subject, but no, no. I mean, I'll share my opinion. Um, I mean, I come from a family where my dad served overseas for two tours. My dad was a 9/11. He was at 9/11 as a police officer. Then he finished his career as a fireman in the FDNY. So he's done all three. Um, so I, I think the flag is the flag and it stands for um, our rights as a person. And I mean, you the best example I could give is you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I forget left back or maybe O or D line uh, Villa, Villanueva. Yeah, left tackle. Yeah, he, he he's a West Point grad, and he did, I think, three tours in Iraq, and he's in the NFL. And he had to come out and apologize for not kneeling for the national anthem. That, I, I think we're really me, entering a, a time where, you know, it's like if you don't subscribe to my opinion, then you're automatically, you know, vilified. Oh, I mean, every everyone has a right to do what they want. Mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that's, that's what's great about living in America. But I mean, when when you see uh, soldiers who have no legs hold themselves on their wheelchair and salute the flag, I mean, I I, I think you should keep politics out of sports. That's the best way I can put it. 
I mean, it's just like when, when you have these athletes who have such a gigantic platform, I mean, it's understandable that they would want to use that platform to talk about something that's very important to them. Um, and the thing I get from Kaepernick's situation is he, he consulted a, um, a military veteran with some sort of suggestion as far as what he should do to uh, make a protest. And he suggested maybe kneeling during the anthem. But, um, you know, you make a point that's saying, like, you know, even if you don't agree with it, like, there shouldn't be there shouldn't be so much vilification of people who, you know, maybe don't support it if if it's something well, that they don't really, you know, if if they don't agree with it, per se. Well, see, for me, it's do I agree with it? No. But it's your right. Yes. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you what's right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But but, you know, I think everyone. My my opinion is also that if they have an issue on what's going on with America and policies, politics, why don't they do more community outreach? Why don't they spend money? Why don't they spend their own money? Create a foundation. I mean, there was an interview with Morgan Freeman and Morgan Freeman says, we should not have a Black History Month. He brought that because an interviewer asked him, you know, what's so special about being black? And he goes, I got to where I am because I worked hard for what I earned. It's not because I was black. It's not because I was white. It's not because I was Chinese. And I thought that everyone should watch that interview because he goes, there's no Jewish month. There's no white history month. There's no, like, he goes, why do we have to be singled out for a black history month? And he even said, I don't understand why people are kneeling that's not going to make a difference. What's going to make a difference is going out to each community and asking them their problems and trying to talk to the people in those communities. And I thought that coming from a man who has a very luxurious career and um, luxurious lifestyle, I mean, you look at all the charity work he's done, it's unbelievable. So, I mean, that that's really my opinion on it is if you really want to get down and nitty gritty, go, go to where they need, you know, guys to look up to kids without parents, um, you know, be a mentor that that's the best you could do is the community outreach. And with hockey, there's so much stuff that you don't even hear about that players do. I mean, like, like for, for the NFL, they need, they need recognition. A lot of guys in the NHL don't get the recognition they deserve. Yeah, well said. I mean, I think um, the biggest issue with the whole the whole pro- uh, topic in general is that a lot of people just don't want to they they don't want to hear another perspective. You know, mm-hmm. we're getting to that we're getting to a point in history now where you know there's a lot of social issues that are finally being you know talked about on in great length. Um, but the problem is you're now in a spot where you're telling people your beliefs and then you say this is the way to do it but then if somebody comes around with another opinion which they're perfectly entitled to people talking about free speech and that sort of a thing but yet they're not supporting free speech by saying that your opinion is wrong there's a lot of people out there that are kind of like it's it's free speech only if i agree with it exactly and that's that's where i think a lot of these problems are coming from see and that's why i said i don't agree with it but it's their right because Technically, there's no rule or law that makes you stand for the national anthem. There's no, there's no constitutional law. There's nothing in anywhere that says, I think it's just one of those things that it's tradition. Do I disagree with it? Absolutely. Do I think it's, I, I think it's just more disrespectful to um, the people who have kept us free and what that flag stands for. But at the same time, that's their right. You can't really mm-hmm. tell someone that they're wrong in doing it. So, I wish we had more perspectives like that out there, where people are like people like you who are like, you know, I don't, I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't co-sign it. But like, you know, that's my personal choice. Or you're, you're like, I don't like you don't. You said you don't want to watch football because of what's going on, and but you're because you can't, you can't get on with it. But like. If other people want to do it, that's fine. I like that perspective. Like, and and I'll watch football. I just won't watch the national anthem because why? Why would I? Why would I take picture of my TV and start tweeting it out on how much I hate it? 
Just don't right, watch right. it. Just don't watch it. I think mm-hmm. that the impact has just been a lot lessened lately because now it's like it's like if you're if you don't kneel, you're racist, but if you do kneel, you're gonna be vilified by the other side. So it's like you can't win in this situation. Yeah. Well, if you look at um the Yankees, there were two players, I forget their names, kneeling. And I think Luke Voigt um stood next to them. Both of them were kneeling, but Voigt went over, stood right in between them and put both his hands on their shoulders. He stood, but they didn't. I thought that was a class act from Voight doing that mm. because that shows that he does care, but he doesn't want to take that extra step type of thing. I mm-hmm. like the thing that they did. I forget where it might've been in baseball where they took the, um, I think it was the Yankees. They took the black. Yeah. Yeah. Yankees, Washington. Yep. yep they took the black, yeah. uh, like rope or whatever. And they all held it. So out of, yeah. as a sign of solidarity. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they all, or most of them stood for the national anthem. I think it's also just, you know, people need, like you said, it's, it's all about the athlete or anybody really just taking the initiative to, to, if you have opinions on a social issue or any issue, really, you should, um, really, you know, get involved in your community and, you know, not even just do it selflessly. Don't really have to make it so vocal, like publicly, unless, you know, unless you're trying to get that sort of movement out there. Um, but I, I think it's important to use your, your platform for good. Um, but I can... I can perfectly understand why it would be offensive to someone like you with a military background, or um, I can understand why that might be offensive to some people as as well. That's why I think you've got to give a, a like a big shout out to guys like Malcolm Jenkins from the Philadelphia Eagles, who mm-hmm. are like out here every day trying to work with kids in the city, trying to make people's lives better who really need help. And you know, they're not they're they're not just talking about it; they're being about it. I mean, you look at Michael Strahan. He's been out of the league for, I think, what is it, five, five years, three mm-hmm. years, something like that. No, I think it's almost ten years now. Is it? Is it? That he, one? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he, he, I, he, I, if I remember correctly, he retired like either after the first the Super, Bowl? The Super Bowl, yeah. or like right after. Yeah, I thought it was right around. So yeah, so maybe eight, nine years ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. To this day, he still mentors kids through a charity that he started when he Mm -hmm. was playing like and that's 10 years later so he's making a difference like and you know what i don't care what anyone says between baseball and football they're the highest paid athletes and if you if you can't just give 500,000 200,000 to a charity that's going to make your local economy a better place the local school district a better place i mean these athletes, kids are going to be going to these schools. You know, mm-hmm. why not make them pristine? Why not make them prestigious? Like, you you live there. Why wouldn't you want to make a difference? That That's what I don't understand about football is you don't see many guys doing charitable, charitable events unless they're getting money for it. Steve, while we're on the subject, like, um, I, I struggle a lot right now with, um, you know, obviously my dad's a cop, like I said, and I, I see a lot of of anti-cop, you know, rhetoric, for lack of a better term, in in the media today. And, um, you know, I struggle with it because I know my dad's a good cop and he he does his best to do the right thing in in the force. And I I don't really like the the all cops are bad moniker because I think it's very hypocritical in a sense. Like, I don't want to cause a a controversial stir on an opinion, but I, I completely understand that there's you know, inequality among the police force and the the black community and minority communities. But I just struggle with, you know, really, what is the solution to that? It's such a, a loaded question. I think, I th- not to interrupt you, uh, but I think like a lot of that comes from, it's just kind of like an emotional reaction. Because like we saw like the George Floyd thing and it was like, like everybody agrees that it was just so out of line. And I think like a lot of it is just like you see these cases where it's just it's obviously something was wrong. Obviously, the, the, the cop was just out of line. That's I think I think the all cops are bad sentiment and some of the some of these anti-police sentiments that we're seeing and like defund the police. I think it's just more reactionary than actually people wanting that policy. It's just like. It's it's like a, it's like an emotional. It's like when you hear really bad news and you get really emotional, and it's just kind of you're not thinking clearly in that moment. And as a society, I think um, 
once we once we get over the gut emotional reaction then some of that is going to kind of go away and we'll be able to find more of a middle ground i don't know how, how you feel about that but that's how i feel i mean i i think with everyone being home and having nothing else better to do with their lives it blew up way more than it should have i mean you you think about it when it first happened now now all of a sudden all all these athletes want to get involved where were you when this when this guy died why weren't you there to support that community when so i think they're just using it as a front to kind of i mean the best way i could also put it is no matter what job you're gonna have bad eggs no matter what job whether it's communications to english you're gonna just have crappy people in your own workforce or around you so i mean yes are there bad cops dirty cops racist cops yes we all know that are there bad firemen racist firemen yeah my yeah absolutely my dad's worked with some of them a hundred percent so i mean it's like what i don't understand is where were all these people when it first happened and why are you burning down your own cities, your own places where you live? Now your taxes are going to go up. So you guys are the one that are, you know, asinine because you're burning your own cities down. That makes zero sense to me. It's like in Seattle, the mayor, the mayor let it go on forever about them rioting. They took over six city street blocks. And then the mayor's house gets broken into and she sends in the National Guard. It's like, and I think to this day, they still have two city blocks under their own, like, it's crazy. Like, I just don't understand how, like, they, they had their flag made the whole nine. Like, it got out of control. And I think everyone who was doing absolutely nothing had nothing else better to do. If I lived in a place I was riding, I probably would have went because there's nothing to do. <laughs> You're stuck inside your house. No one's working. I mean, yeah. Oh, what are you doing today? I'm going to a riot. You want to come? Yeah, I love breaking shit. Like, yeah, I'll go. It's just, it's hard because, like, it takes away from really the movement because when you see, even if it's a slight majority of rioters out there, it's still kind of sad to see, you know, people burning entire cities down. You know, like, kind of like what we saw with uh, with Ferguson and, you know, some other situations. Well, but and, um, and the, and the best question you could ask is, who are you going to call when you, when you are in trouble? 911. Who's showing up no matter the situation? Ambulance, cop, for the most part. If the ambulance goes, the cop goes. If the fire department goes, the cops go. So no matter what you're calling for, a cop's showing up regardless. Do you think that there needs to be less as far as people need to call the police for less? Because uh, I've heard arguments from some of my friends who are cops that say that the the reason that a lot of this happens is because the police are so overloaded with complaints that the police should not be called for. Such as like oh, maybe like mental health cases or, you know, things that are like civil that don't have to be escalated anymore. Well, I I think that they should go to those because you get a crazy person that doesn't get cream in his coffee and he's yelling at the Dunkin' Donuts poor guy. Like now that poor guy has two options. He could either blow up on this guy and lose his job or he's going to sit there, take it all. And then this guy's going to dump his coffee on him. Like, no, I would call 911. Like, I shot my neighbor with a paintball gun once because he was, I was like 14. And he, he's like, he, he dropped acid for like 20 years. So he's all like, you know, messed yeah. up in the head. Like, he used to play tennis with himself out front. Which <laughs> made no offense. And he followed my sister and I inside. No one's home. And I unloaded a whole paintball, like, gun on him. The cops came and they're like, did you shoot with a paintball gun? I'm like, yeah. They're like, all right, all right. And I was 14. No, I don't know much they can do about that. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky I didn't have a taser. I would tase them. I don't care. Listen, you people have to defend themselves. And what are you going to give these cops? I mean, are you just going to give them a whistle? And then the National Guard are going to be there with their guns? Like, these guys have to protect themselves. I don't care. You just can't take guns away from the people who protect you from bad guys and criminals on top of themselves like and everyone forgets at 9-11 cops and firemen were the were on a pedestal in new york 
one or two bad cops, now they're all the way down at the bottom. People forget that 343 firemen lost their lives, over 150 NYPD, another 100 MTA. They forget about that. When these guys were running up the towers, getting people out and getting people to safety, people forget that. Yeah, it's just tough seeing, like, you know, the obviously the NYPD, there's been a couple instances where, you know, people have been running, running protesters over. And it's it's a shame because these few, these few really bad cops are going out and really making a bad name for everybody as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't I, I wonder, like, what is the solution going to be where we can vet cops to not be as violent as or violent at, or as racist as it could be to um, to resolve I, this I situation? Think- I think that comes in with training. I mean, de-escalation tactics are used in all the branches of the military. I think they need to adopt some of what the Marines learn, some of what the Army learns, and some of what these special forces guys learn. To that's that's not, I, I was I was going to bring that up actually. Like I think a lot of it goes down to training. Like American cops in general are very like very under trained compared to cops in other countries and i think that's a big part of why you don't see as many of these incidents in other places like in in germany or like in in england you have to go through like a year or two years of training to be a cop whereas here it's just like four months in some places like it seems it seems crazy to me you can't learn all of the stuff that you need to be able to do this incredibly difficult job in just four months you need to you need to have a lot of training with de-escalation. You need to have a lot of training with weapons. You need to have a lot of training with with all of these things that you're going to have to, all of these skills you're going to have to have uh, driving at, at high speed chases and all of these things. Well, in in certain situations, you you should know whether or not to use a gun or a taser. That's just. But in a life or death situation, I don't care what anyone tells me. I, I'm. I'm using my gun. Ask questions later. Like, I mean, now if guys, if a guy's wielding a knife, and I could tell this story because it happened right around where I live on the Fourth of July, um, what a cop respond to domestic violence, and this guy stabbed his wife like four times because he was all drunk and whatever. The cop, uh, the the guy who just stabbed his wife starts coming at the cop. They tased him. Like instead of shooting him, they tased him. They subdued the subject. Now if that guy has a gun. I'm sitting behind my car, and if he doesn't drop the gun, I'm shooting him. Now, do I shoot to kill? Probably not. I'm going to try and shoot him in the leg or something. But you got to think: Does he have other things on him? Does he have another pistol? Does he have another holster on his ankle? Like there, there's. If if you haven't been in that life or death situation, I really don't think you can comment on whether or not he should use a gun or whether or not he should use that. That's just me personally. Yeah, I mean, you you have literally milliseconds to react to something like that. It's, exactly. It's it's something that you know when you're considering, uh, you know, if what force the police should use, you have to consider what they're going through in that moment on top of what the person that's being apprehended is going through. Because, you know, there's, there are innocent people who get, you know, you know, assaulted by the police and with something oh, when they 100%. don't have, you know, you just have to be aware, um, you know, when you're in that situation that like the de-escalation tactics just have to be taught at a more, you know, at a, at a much deeper level than they are right now. Because the people that have been complaining about it, they do make a valid point. You know, you can become a cop in a lot quicker than you can many other fields that are a lot easier in, in that sense. So. Well, I mean, it's it's like saying, yeah, you're going to become a doctor within four months. <laughs> like, you can't become a doctor within four months. No. It takes years. Is there a plane, so, is there a plane flying over you? Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah, I can hear it. Uh, I don't know. We're, we're in the flight path of Newark and Stewart. Yeah. So we get planes all the time. Yeah, it's all good. I know I could just hear it in the in the thing. I couldn't hear you that well. Um. So... Can you hear my neighbors upstairs, Dixon? They just moved in, and they're being very loud and very annoying. Are they the ones playing the music? Yeah, I hear music. Yeah, they might be. Yeah. 
Well, I guess there's the... some, someone in my building. Yeah, there's not really much you can do about it. This is how we have to do it from now until uh, until we can go back to normal. So yeah, the music will have to do. <laughs> um. So Steve, the 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 main reason why I I thought about bringing you on today is because I read that article that you wrote for um. I, was it your uh, the college paper or was it just like your lo- uh, personal blog? Uh, so I I was contacted um through one of the other referees that I know who lives out in Chicago, and um. He gave me this guy, Jim. He's with, uh, so basically this guy, he, he, uh, 20 years ago, he created his own website called out sports mm-hmm. and basically he's an LA times editor, but he also does this on the side and it's basically for gay or bisexual athletes to be able to tell their stories or come out or, you know, there's stories from, I mean, I never heard of it until I was contacted. And I mean, there's anywhere from Olympic gold medalists all the way down to, I mean, coaches at the division one level to players like myself. So, I mean, it's a very wide range of people who utilize this to uh, share their stories. That's very cool. I mean, um, it's important because you, you see like a few gay athletes here and there kind of, you know, coming out, but it doesn't seem to be as much of a, of a thing these days. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess it's expanding more because of, um, what was that gentleman's name? The guy who was in the, uh, the gay basketball player, uh, Jason Collins, Jason Collins. He kind of yeah. was one of the people that brought it to the forefront, but there haven't been, there haven't been a lot. The only, there's been a few college football players that I remember. Like I remember Michael Sam. Um, I remember uh, uh, what was the guy's name from from Kansas State? Uh, Scott Franz, I think, was his name. But other than that, I can't think of I can't think of a whole lot. So, Steve, why did why did you choose um, that particular? Well, you might be want to go through the story of, of it for people that might have obviously not read the article. Um, but what what was the the reason for you coming out at that particular moment? Like, what was so potent about that moment that made you? decided to do that um you, you know what the the whole situation with the kid basically called me a faggot um on the ice happened i don't know maybe in february <clears throat> so you know i went through the whole process with the college and the coaching staff didn't do anything so i was kind of pissed off about that because two of the coaches knew because i told them and they didn't do anything after i beat the crap out of them on the ice i got suspended from hockey and school for school for a week and all hockey activities for two weeks and my coaches didn't do anything so i went to the athletic director and told them what happened during practice and then they started an investigation and they came to it came to fruition that um there was there's like video cameras in the arena where we play and they have audio so they heard it and they said, well, you have three options. And the three options were, you know, he's suspended from the school, blah, blah, blah. Um, on top of that, you could also file a police report and he's still kicked out of school. Or you guys could just sit down, talk it out. And if you don't feel that he was actually sorry, then we could go with option one and two. And I was like, all right, cool. Let's go with three. Um, so, you know, I came out to him and then next thing you know, like, he was all upset and everything. So then we patched things up, moved on. Um, but me doing that article just, you know, about three weeks ago, two weeks ago now, um, it really came down to that. I had a lot of support from the guys in the NHL. I mean, um, that helped a lot. Um, Kyle Palmieri, the New Jersey Devils, uh, Braden McNabb out in Vegas with the Golden Knights. Um, Curtis Gabriel, who's in the AHL with the uh, Flyers, playing for the Phantoms, and then uh, Kyle Palmieri, um, and uh, Michael Grabner. That was the last one. So I mean, having those guys, um, which was funny because I DM'd all four of those guys um, on Twitter actually, because the NHL has a thing called like. Uh, allies or something so each each team has a representative 
and those four guys are uh, their team's respective uh, representatives. So I told them the situation, and, I mean, what they said left and right was tremendous. I mean, they I, – I mean, I talked to Grabner almost every day on the phone um, on top of McNabb, and Paul Mary invited me, me down to a game, and, you know, it's been a – tremendous support just from the NHL itself and also me playing juniors and I mean I played in all three junior leagues the USHL the NAHL and the NA3HL so I am currently the highest um highest hockey player like level wise to ever come out so that's why it's gotten so much attention I think mm-hmm. uh on top of it I coach hockey um i play in college and i ref at the division one level so i think also i'm one of the highest referees and coaches <laughs> to come out so like i kind of hit all three it is kind of a big deal time. yeah definitely yeah um so i mean like um wfan wants to do a story nhl network uh the four teams of the guys who you know, help me throughout the whole thing next year. They want me to fly out. So, I mean, it's it's just been like a nonstop emails and DMs on Instagram. It's been nonstop. And for me, I also um, <clears throat> had great support from uh, one of the guys who uh, he was a referee who came out. His, his name's Gordon, and uh, he's from Chicago. And he wrote an article before me and that his, his article was kind of what drove me to write mine. And we, we talked for, I think three weeks before mine came out. And so, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely interesting to see all the feedback because I thought it was going to be a lot worse (laughs) (laughs) with, um, you know, just because my, my mom has, seven siblings my dad has seven siblings and the only people who knew were my parents and sister from my family so i mean it was like and then what was funny before i even posted on any of my social media my cousin um he lives in jersey and he's a uh he's a therapist and he saw the story at like 7 (laughs) a.m which was crazy and he sent it to his two brothers and then um, my mom got a bunch of texts at like 8 a.m. saying, oh, we saw Steven's article, you know, blah, blah, blah. And my mom's like, what article? Because I didn't even tell my parents. And the best part is at 1030, I sent the article all over Instagram, Snapchat, and um, Facebook and Twitter. And I shut my phone off and went to the dentist appointment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was like perfect timing because 1045 was my dentist appointment. I left my phone home. Next thing you know, I had... I mean, I probably had over a hundred text messages, phone calls, and like it took me two or three days to get back to literally everyone. Wow, yeah, that's an incredible story, man. I mean, it's. It, I just want to say it's like brave of you to to use that as your outlet to kind of represent all all gay athletes out there when you're, you know, you know, it's just mm-hmm. it's very special. And the the thing that really took took me by you know surprise about the article is that um, how understanding you were of of the other person's mistake and your choice to educate the person and not to execute the person which i think is a very it's a very admirable thing for today's culture because there isn't enough of that going around well well for me it was i i mean i i had two or three days to really think about it and um before i had to like make my decision and the first day my immediate reaction was like, you know, screw this kid. I'm going with the sexual harassment charge with the police. And then I, mm-hmm. and then I, because that's, that's really, if that happened to really anyone, I think that's their first immediate reaction. And then, you know, I got thinking and I thought a while about it for the three days. And then I said, you know what? It's not worth it because this kid will never get a job. He'll never be able to go back to another college with this on his record. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? We all say stupid things. The best thing to do is now, if he went into that meeting and said he said absolutely nothing wrong or he 
then I take the different approach. But I mean, the kid looked me in the eyes and he was already like tearing up and everything. So, I mean, I was like, I, I just didn't have the heart to crush him even more. I mean, that's just wrong in my opinion, because I mean, you out on the ice, trust me, I've said my fair share of stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I kind of reversed it and kind of put myself in his shoes and said, I wouldn't want someone to ruin my college career. So that's kind of the way I took it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with, with a lot of these uh, sports is it's kind of that, you know, quote unquote locker room mentality. So a lot of, you know, inappropriate or offensive things can be said regularly. And, you know, to the average person, that might not mean much of anything because you know, it's locker room talk. It's bro. Lo- it's locker room talk, and then yeah. you know, you don't think that in that moment you you say something out of complete you know anger, and then you end up you know offending somebody well, to a personal level. I yeah. mean, I also beat the shit out of him in practice. When yeah, that that, so. that would help. That would probably help his uh, <laughs> his opinion in the matter. Yeah. Do you think that if I mean, if it wasn't a teammate, it would have been a little a little more difficult for you to make that decision? Well, if it was not a teammate and another kid on the other team, no referee will get me off from pounding the piss out of them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, my, my job in juniors was a fighter. I'm missing three teeth. So, I mean, I know how to fight. And that guy would have went, he would have left the game in an ambulance, guaranteed. The reason why my teammate didn't was because he's my teammate. <laughs> So do you so, think that your your perspective on the whole thing would have changed? Would you still have taken that time to think about what you were going to do if it was somebody who wasn't a teammate? Uh, honestly, it probably would have depended on if I weld on him or not. Like, if I completely just shit-kicked him, then I probably wouldn't feel as bad. <laughs> I mean, that that's how hockey is. You say stuff, you drop the gloves, and then normally it's over. Like, yeah. I remember playing playing juniors out out in um wilkes pennsylvania and me me and the other kid we would fight once a week in practice we hated each other Mm -hmm. once a week like i mean that's just how it is you drop the and my mentality that's been my mentality and that was a hard change going from juniors to college because i mean plus like i'm i'm going in my senior year i just turned 23 most and i call them kids they're 18 17 19 and they don't hit it's such a skilled game but I, I could line anyone up going i mean there's this kid that plays for columbia university he goes up and down the ice like probably one of the best players in our league i probably line him up four times a game because he's got his head down and i just shit kick him then i get a penalty for roughing because the kid cries and it's like two years ago those hits i i could throw someone through the glass and there's no penalty now it's it's just turned into turned into a soccer game I mean, hockey is just kind of known as the fighting sport these days, or in, in general yeah. throughout its entire history. So people need to understand that's just how the, the sport works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, it probably would have been a tougher decision. Um, I mean, from what, from the minute that article actually came out, I would say that a lot of guys on the other teams reached out to me. Um and and I mean past past players I played against, and um, some guys who I know in the NHL, some guys who are in the AHL, on top of um, some of the referees who I ref with, um, like uh, I mean everyone knows Wes McCauley. Um, I I know Wes since 2015 when I got invited up to the NHL referee combine, and he sent me a letter and everything uh, from from the bubble, which I thought was really cool. Um, so, I mean, I think I've been fortunate enough to have the courage to reach out to these guys and for them to even take time out of their day and message me. I think that's the biggest, I guess, the biggest advice I could give someone is to have a support group around you to be able to show you what you can do. Yeah, I mean it's That's, it's it's good to see that there's so much positive support for what you went through because it gives a lot of hope to people who may be, you know, still closeted that they can they can kind of speak up about this because it's now a comfortable time where it's it's acceptable in the sport and it's definitely a lot more acceptable socially than it once was. 
And there's already been an example of someone that's come forward. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I've thought, like, of many different times of just, like, like, a few years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go to Thanksgiving dinner and just, because I was, like, 18, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to drop that in there during Thanksgiving and just leave. <laughs> I like, like I, I thought, I thought about, like, different ways where it'd be like baller to just do it and just like drop the mic and get out of a family event by saying that but then again like i think i just wanted i wanted it to be the right time i wanted it to be more of a time for people to learn and when the actions of this uh of my teammate i think he learned from him and i mean we, we we've hung out during the summer and everything so i mean it's and um jim from out sports he uh he's contacted me and he's put me in contact with about 20 to 25 different athletes in hockey that i mean text me for advice and they're not out yet and i mean they're they're just full-on great guys and i mean these are guys who who have been around and it's kind of cool to see them sharing their stories with me because now I'm able, I'm in a position where I can help these young athletes or, you know, division one athletes, division two. Who, and, and it doesn't even have to be hockey. I mean, yeah, I would say 20 of them are hockey. The other five are just division one athletes, but I mean, they're struggling with something I struggled with my whole life, kind of like they're struggling right now. So for me to give back that comfort and that support is probably the best thing I could actually like give. Now, obviously um, we're not blowing up anybody's spot on the show, but if, are you aware of any NHL players that are gay and just haven't come forward yet? Or is that's not something you, that you've been aware of? Um, there, there have been like, accusations made i mean everyone's heard about sean avery they think he's bi or gay but i mean i've known sean avery for a long time um probably i mean you can look at my instagram i met him probably 2016 and mm -hmm. we've been friends ever since he just he i could squash those rumors right here and now they're they're not true um but i mean i've never yeah, you know, I guess every locker room, I guess they say for every four, was it every, every 10 males, there's one gay, like that's just kind of like the gist of it. And so, I mean, you put 25 guys in a locker room. I'm not saying that there's going to be one, but there's a high risk that there's a high chance that there's definitely one or two. Yeah. Like it just feels it feels like statistically impossible that there wouldn't be any. It's just that a question of whether they've decided to be public about it and make that choice. Yeah, I I mean I just I don't know. Um if I did I would I would just tell you not who it was, but I'd confirm yeah. it. But I mean no, I mean there's there's just been little here and there, but not much. Hmm. talk about anyone i guess we'll find out in the bubble <laughs> yeah yeah it'd be the perfect opportunity no no offense i just you know just, just a oh, joking, of course. um do you think that the bubble will eventually burst pun intended um just because of how irresponsible all these athletes some of these athletes are going to be that it's really going to tear the whole thing down like, I, do you I, think we'll have a Lou Williams situation in, in the NHL bubble where somebody's leaving to go to the strip club? No shot. <laughs> no shot. No. I, I mean, I can't see that because the NHL actually has security outside the hotels. So when the team gets back, they're locked down. Hmm. Like, it's, it's not like the MLB where they're going from city to city and they can do whatever they want. Yeah. That was the craziest thing to me about like the Lou Williams story. Like, I don't know if you heard of you guys heard about this. Basically, yeah, I did. I yeah. heard about it. Dixon, did you hear about this? What's that? 
So basically, uh, Lou Williams from uh, uh, one of the, I forget where he plays now, but he, he left the NBA bubble in Orlando to go to Magic City. And uh, is it because he like, said the wings were really good at the strip club or something like he that? He said the wings were really good was his reasoning. Um, I guess they couldn't get wings in Orlando anywhere. I don't know. But it, it, it's just like what shocked me about the story was I'm like, how did how did nobody notice this guy just leaving? Like, there's got to be security or, or something or, or how strip clubs open <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the that's the other thing like how is uh, how is this i feel like that would be at least right stage now? five or stage six by that point because you're literally you know yeah there was that drive-through strip club in oregon <laughs> yeah i saw that yeah you had to wear a mask <laughs> yeah that's that's phenomenal yeah, I guess that's uh, that's pretty much all I had as far as my questions for you, Steve. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to share your story because, like I said, I was very, very taken back by your story, and I felt it was very, mm-hmm. um, it was very important for, especially today and age, to to use that sort of very important personal situation as a teachable moment. And I thought that was, you know, very, very noble of you. Thank you. I mean, it it's been it's been crazy, like I said, because there's been people who've texting me that i don't even know and they're like i read your story and i just want to say that like you you had me tearing up you had me moved and i'm like oh i mean all right cool like it's just kind of i guess it's more surreal to me because i guess i didn't realize how many people who uh who had impact with it yeah i mean you definitely you definitely impacted me at least in the, you know, like it's hard. It's often you don't read an entire article. Like I was able to sit down and really read that entire article. And it was, you know, very, very, uh, very motivational. Yeah, it was touching. Very touching. Thank you. Um. So what's your next, uh, what's the next move now? You said you're just going to, there's a couple of interviews you're doing with uh, some individuals in the NHL network and, and things like that. Or I yeah, think you, you said WFAN, right? WFAN. Yeah. Yeah, they, they. I don't know who I'm gonna end up doing it with, um, but I mean, who knows? They. I've been in contact with them. I've been in contact with, uh, like the four teams: uh, the Flyers, the Coyotes, Vegas Golden Knights, and the Devils. Um, they all want to do something next year, on top of um, the NHL Network, ESPN. Um, MLB network because the NHL network owns the MLB network. Like it, it's actually like getting super blown up, which I, I, that's not the intention I had at all, like whatsoever. Um, but it's crazy that I'm getting messages from NHL players across the country. That's incredible. And it's nice to know that the sport you love so much is, is able to give back to you and, in even the smallest way of just the player, you know, reaching out to you. I'm sure that means a lot to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Um, Steve, where can, uh, do you have any public social media that anybody that's listening can find you on to maybe follow anything you're doing in the future? Or are you more of a private yeah. guy? Uh, well, my whole story's out. So I'm yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that would be the case. <laughs> um, so where can they find the article is, where, uh, if they want to read it for uh, themselves? So, so the article is uh, out sports, uh, O-U-T-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com. And you just got to scroll down until you see uh, Stephen Finkel or gay hockey player comes out, either one. And um, yeah, and then my Instagram is the, the Fink 16, T-H-E. The Fink. <laughs> I like it. And. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, incredible story, man. I we really appreciate you taking the time and uh Yeah, thanks for coming on, man. We really look forward yeah, to your continued success. Yeah, hopefully I'm on the NHL network in two years. That'll that's be nice. Cool. Maybe you finally get me to watch NHL because I've never watched it much, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I know. You watch like bowling or something, right? Yeah, you something like that, you know. There's <laughs> this ball- is the world's biggest bowling fan over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll be broadcasting on the Ocho soon enough. <laughs> Matt Dixon, the world's foremost ten- uh, table tennis informant. <laughs> I'll go chess. Let's start with chess. Yes. Chess? Major yeah. League Chess. 
You look like a major league chess guy. What is that supposed to mean? It's you know what hair. it means. It's the hair. Whatever. It's definitely the hair. I, I thought it's I was going to... Hair... Right now, it's the hair-headphones combination. I always think I'm going to get home in time to take a shower before this, and then I'm just like, eh, I don't feel like it. So, everybody has to see well, me you're, all. You're busy playing chess. <laughs> yeah. I've had enough of you people. <laughs> all right, Steve, it's been a pleasure as always. Um, we'd love to have you again sometime to update us on everything that's going on with you, and I'll uh, see you on the social media as always. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. All right, man, cool. All right, you have a good rest of your day, and uh, good luck with everything with you, okay, man? Yeah, yeah no problem. I'll talk to you later. First night of the when I was still light-skinned blonde back in the day. Uh, yeah.